What is up team? Welcome back to the show. Today we have another Q&A episode, so let's go ahead and just get right into the questions. Now, first thing we have is examples of goals that keep clients inspired and motivated during fat loss. Alright, so within this, really what I'll say is typically a fat loss phase is going to be one of the easiest times to keep a client inspired and motivated. Um, I was just talking to a few of my clients about this yesterday, but really like during a fat loss phase, that is typically when we are able to see clear, tangible changes week to week, right? So one of the biggest things I think for keeping a client motivated in a fat loss phase, because also if we're just starting a fat loss phase and there's no clear timeline for like, hey, how long are we gonna be cutting for? When is this fat loss phase going to end? I think like just having a bit like that when it's kind of like we're just in this purgatory where we're always dying and we can't necessarily see the end in sight. I think that's one of the most important things to keep a client motivated and inspired, right? Like we can see a very clear timeline. So when anyone starts with us, and this is something we're constantly revisiting throughout the process, but when anyone starts with us, we're going to lay out to the best of our ability. This is what the next six months are going to look like with the nutrition. Like we're in fat loss phases. This is about the rate of loss we're aiming for. This is when we predict that she'll be done with the fat loss phase. This is about where we predict body weight will be at. This is about how we predict you'll look and feel by the end of this. So one, um, that is something that we're constantly going out of our way to make sure we're revisiting with the client. So like you as a client can always very clearly see the path ahead. Because again, I think... One of the most helpful things within our coaching service and like for me to realize as a coach is just understanding how important it is for always for the client to always be able to see like what that path looks like. Basically, we want you to always be able to see the roadmap right now from there. If a client's motivation does start to wane, oftentimes I'll just pose the question, hey, remind me, why did you want to lose body fat in the first place? Right? Like when we started, you laid out how you want to look, how you want to feel at the end of this process. Now. I want you to remind me, like, why was this important to you? Now, that's not because we don't know why this was important to the client, but rather, we want you to speak that out. And again, like, just remind yourself, oh man, this is why this was so important to me. This is why I started this difficult journey in the first place. Because the reality is, like, fat loss will be a challenge um, for most everyone. It's not just going to be an easy process. Now, the better you get at the skill of fat loss, the easier it becomes over time. But especially if this is like one of your first successful fat loss phases, it does just entail lifestyle changes to an extent and it entails the identity shift, right? So it is something that is normal to see motivation dip a bit. And then also reminding, reminding people that, hey, it is normal for us to see like motivation kind of fluctuate across the course of a week, a month, multiple months. It's very normal for motivation to kind of be up and down. And honestly, in that situation, sometimes it's just helpful to remind the client, hey, the more on point we are during this fat loss phase, the sooner we can be done with fat loss, right? The sooner we can be in this place where you, because the thing to remember is we have so much more flexibility at maintenance than we do in a fat loss phase, right? So to lose body fat, we have to be pretty damn dialed in. We have to track very accurately and we can eat considerably less calories. Now, once your fat loss phase is over, and you're back to maintenance, you can eat, for most individuals, it's going to be at least 500 calories more, but typically it's going to be 500 to 900, maybe even up to 1,000 calories more, depending on the size of your deficit, versus what you were consuming to lose, right? So again, the thing to understand is the more concise and accurate you are right now, the more dialed in we are right now, so to speak, with hitting your macro targets, with hitting your steps, etc., the sooner you can be done with this fat loss phase, the sooner we can get back to maintenance, you can be rocking a physique that you feel amazing in, you'll finally be able to see your abs or whatever it may be, 
But also, you'll be able to maintain that physique eating a lot more food. You will have a little bit more food flexibility. You won't have to be as concise. You can add in more things like free meals, right? But then again, you also have the physique you want at the same time. So that's like a lot of people um, in a fat loss phase will get in this point where like, oh, I don't feel super motivated. So I'm going to get a little bit more flexible. I'm going to go over macros here. I'm going to go over my macros here. And let's say it's like two to four days a week that they kind of rationalize. Oh, it's okay. But then the rest of the week, they're still trying to lose fat. So then they're kind of in this place where we're just inconsistent enough to not lose, but you still always feel like you're dieting, which is like the worst place to be, right? You're feeling like you're dieting, but you're still not seeing the progress. So I always like to remind clients like, hey, the more concise we are right now, because the, the reality is no matter what, dieting just isn't very fun. <laughs> We can't eat as much food. And again, I really like I, Jordan Lips. Um, shout out to Jordan. Made a great post the other day that was the time, during your diet, you shouldn't also necessarily be trying to live your best life, right? Where this is a time where it is a good idea to try to buckle down a little bit, maybe even clean up. I don't want to say clean up, but tighten up your food choices a little bit. Eat a few less flexible foods, potentially even have a few less meals out throughout the week. So we can just get that done sooner. You can have the physique you want sooner. And then you have so much more room at maintenance to where we can work on all those things, but again, you have the physique you want. So that's just something important to remember. <laughs> like the more on point we are during the diet, the sooner it's done. And the sooner you can be feeling well-fueled, have more energy in your training, recovering better, building more muscle, etc. Um, photo sheets are honestly a very good tool for this as well. Now, a good amount of our clients in the past have done photo shoots is something we're prepping a few clients for right now, but it's not necessarily for everyone. Not everyone necessarily wants to get that mean. But a photo shoot for like a more intermediate to advanced clients, honestly, that is a great goal where we have a set time on the calendar, right? And that is very much, especially when you book that, we'll typically book that about 12-ish weeks out. Then it's, okay, I know no matter what, I have paid for this shoot. It is on the calendar. No matter what, I'm going to be in front of camera um, on this date. And that in itself just makes it so much more real where we have a very tangible timeline. And by this point, we have to be ready. So that's another very good goal and something to push for. Or for a lot of clients, it's going to be things like, hey, at the end of this, this is all leading up to this trip, like this beach vacation, or maybe it's in the winter and you're going to Mexico or something of that nature. Um, but those are a few examples of how we would typically go about this. All right, next question we have. Worry about starting with a client who is much more overweight than my others. Considerations in the training slash lifting aspect as we get started with programming. All right, so here a few things to consider. So first, um, typically in a scenario like this, the client may struggle a little bit more with stability and body control. Now, no matter what, typically like these are relatively common struggles for a brand new client. Now, this of course depends on the client. Like if the client is coming from the background of they've been training for a long time, but they're just a new client to you. That's of course an exception to this. But if it's a client that as a whole is like new to resistance training, almost always like body control and stability will be a bit more of an issue regardless, but that'll be slightly exaggerated in this case. So no matter what, like when a new client starts, Typically, my thought process with programming is I don't necessarily want to overcomplicate things. I want to choose very simple movement patterns that the client can just load up and execute and really focus on output without having to think through a hundred different cues, right? Now, from here, then again, when we're looking at like the context of a very overweight client, 
Typically, the biggest carryover here is going to be like single leg movement patterns. So for example, like a walking lunge might be a little bit less stable. So we probably start with like a bilateral pattern. And again, like if we're really focusing on how can we just put the client in a position to where they can just load up and execute as well as possible without having to think through a dozen different mental cues or without like anything like stability per se being the rate limiter. Okay, so maybe instead of having a client do like a rear foot elevated split squat, Maybe we're having a client do something like a leg press, for example. So typically, again, especially with lower body, we often will have to start with more bilateral patterns. And then as the client gets stronger and as the client gets a little bit leaner and it's easier to um, basically work in things like single leg work, then we can, of course, progress to those. And the reality is we can typically progress to those relatively quickly. But often for lower body specifically, we'll have to start with more bilateral patterns. And then from there, as the client has, and again, keep in mind, like these are very broad generalizations. This isn't gonna be true for every single client that we work with that it potentially had is a bit more overweight. But oftentimes if we're looking at like, okay, so let's say we're doing a heel elevated squat, for example. And again, we're going with a bilateral pattern there. Oftentimes, because the client has a heavier body weight to move, oftentimes the client won't be as strong like in the end range of motion or like at the bottom of that squat, for example. It'll be a little bit harder for them to control their body weight. So oftentimes as well, we will have to kind of ease into ranges of motion. And like with that squat pattern, you may have to be okay with like, okay, maybe we're just getting close to about parallel and past that point, the client really struggles to control the movement and we're okay with that. And again, rather than like me right away, hey, I want you to really squat to the point where you can get your heels to your hams or your hamstrings to your calves, not heels to hamstrings, um, hamstrings to calves. Within that, we're okay with cutting that range of motion a little bit shorter. And before we really start to significantly load this, we are going to, again, like slowly ease into that range of motion. Maybe we're okay with you just getting close to parallel. And then the reality of this is as well, though the client will progress very, very quickly here. So like week to week, hey, maybe we're focusing on just adding another two to three inches of range of motion. Um, and again, mobility in a situation like this oftentimes won't be quite as good. So like in a scenario like this, you, and I would, it, this is gonna somewhat depend on the client. We could then in that case work in something like heel elevation to again, potentially make up for a lack of mobility. But again, within this, like, with our body weight movement patterns, again, a lot of times, like when we're getting like in a squat pattern and a lunge pattern, oftentimes the client will struggle a little bit more at the bottom of that range of motion. So we have to be okay with one, easing into that a little bit more slowly. But again, here is where things like a leg press, for example, where um, if the client can't get really into that lengthened position with like a body weight squat, we could often use something like a leg press that would be more advantageous there. We could really put a lot more stress on the tissue and get deeper into that range of motion. And of course that'll carry over to like their ability to do a body weight squat as well. But again, more often than not, the client will need a little bit of external stability to make up for the lack of internal stability. So again, an example of this could be, again, if we're taking it back to like that body weighting squat example, hey, maybe you're actually holding onto the TRX handles and we are just focusing on getting deeper into this range of motion for the first few weeks. And then we're focusing on decreasing the amount of assistance that you're using from those TRX handles, which are kind of stabilizing here, right? And then once we have that mastered, then we're moving into these different single leg patterns, right? So maybe next I want you to really focus on a lunge or a reverse lunge, but rather than doing like a walking lunge where again, stability would be a little bit more of an issue. Maybe we're doing something like a static lunge or this would be like a traditional split squat where front foot and back foot are both um, on 
a level a level field, right? So rear foot isn't elevated, front foot isn't elevated. And maybe we are holding on to something like the rack with one hand for extra stability, right? And then we're focusing on training that through a full range of motion, potentially loading that a bit. And then by the point the client has that mastered, then they'll typically be able to work into patterns again, like we could do something like a walking lunge. And by that point, stability and strength will probably both be in a good place to be able to perform those movements just fine. But really past that, not too terribly much else in the programming is going to change. It's very similar to like any other client we work with where we're always gonna do a movement assessment first. We're gonna look at um, what muscle imbalances do you have? What patterns do you really struggle with? And again, like within this in a movement assessment, you'll typically see like that split squat movement or like a single leg variations will be a little bit more of a challenge. So we're gonna have to ease into those things slowly. And then we're just looking at things like how well do you do overhead, right? And in a situation like this, again, it's a little bit more common for a client to not be able to immediately like work overhead very well. So maybe instead of doing like overhead presses, we are working at inclines instead and we're keeping overhead presses out of the program for now. And just over time, as we're creating those patterns, as we're pulling from overhead, like overhead mobility increases, and then we can start to work in those patterns more often. Now, final question we have is, Trouble feeling my glutes in Romanian deadlifts. All right, so within this, this is a relatively common one that I talk clients through. And really there's a few different variations of Romanian deadlifts that we program. So one, we have just a traditional Romanian deadlift where you're primarily going to be focusing on just pushing your hips back. We're typically gonna have a slight bend in our knees, but not a massive bend in our knees. Um, and within this, this is really going to lengthen the hamstring. We are gonna have some glute involvement, but we would consider this primarily a hamstring dominant movement. And within that, we would expect you to feel your hamstrings working quite a bit more than your glutes. Again, your glutes are gonna be involved, but not as much as your hamstrings will. Now from there, the other variation that we really like, and I'll say this is probably my favorite movement, for building glutes is going to be a bent knee RDL. That said, this isn't something that's gonna feel quite as natural for most clients, as most clients have learned how to really do a, uh, most clients will start coaching like understanding how to do a hamstring dominant RDL, but not, tip, not typically understanding how to do a glute dominant RDL. So with that glute dominant RDL, really here we're focusing on achieving maximal hip flexion, right? So basically we want to achieve a large amount of bend at our hips, we want to get our hamstring, or excuse me, we want to get our rib cage relatively close to our thighs. So within this, the execution is going to look fairly similar to what we would do for a Romanian deadlift, but our butt is going to drop down a lot more as we're pushing our hips back. So honestly, the easiest way to conceptualize this is if you stand up, put your hands on the front of your legs, on your thighs, push your hips back until your hands get to your knees, and then drop your hips down to the point where you can't take your hips any lower without your knees starting to come forward, right? Now, basically there, so basically again, we're pushing our hips back till our hands get to our knees and then lowering our hips down until we get to the point where we can't go any lower without having to drive our knees forward, right? And at this point, you'll also be at the place where will feel like your ribs should at this point be relatively close to your thighs. The ribs won't actually be touching your thighs, but basically you'll be at this point where, hey, I can't go any lower by continuing to bend at my hips, right? I'm out of hip flexion. I can't push my hips back any further. I can't bend at my hips anymore. So for me to continue to go lower, I'm going to have to start bending on the knees quite a bit more. Now within this, we just want to think soft knees. It's also helpful to think like imagine you're buried up to your knees in sand. 
But again, for us to go any lower past this point, we'd actually have to be like driving our knees forward, right? And that's kind of our stopping point for the bent knee RDL. And then it's really helpful to think on the way up. I really like to think, like imagine you're doing a leg press and you're really focusing on pushing your feet through the floor. I found for most clients, like when it comes to glute engagement, that's gonna be a bit more beneficial than if we're really thinking like pulling the weight up from the bottom where that seems like it's a little bit more frequent. And this is just anecdote, but it's a little bit more common that people will really like use their lower back to try to pull the weight up instead of use, really using their glutes and hamstrings to lift the weight. So, and that's kind of just a very subtle thing. So within that, um, then the final thing I would say is, I would take a good amount of form videos and watch your execution here. I wouldn't necessarily focus on like trying to really feel your glutes working to really like squeeze the glutes too hard or anything of that nature. Really just focus on execution and eventually the mind muscle connection. Like if we execute that movement properly, your glutes are going to have to be working to a large degree. But again, at the bottom of this, we should have a decent amount of knee bend. That said, your shins should still be relatively vertical. We shouldn't have our knees driven a good amount forward at the bottom of the wrap. Or another easy way to think of this is almost just imagine you're doing the top three-fourths of a conventional deadlift, like a deadlift we'd be pulling from the floor. Where again, it's really like through that, the top three-fourths, that top 75% of that range of motion is primarily hip flexion, the way we are lowering the weight. And then that last bit, like when we're lowering the weight to the floor, that last like quarter of the movement is really when we're using a lot more knee bend and actually driving the knees forward a bit. So we're stopping just before that point where we have to start to drive the knees forward. And really this is a very common thing that we're working clients through within coaching because so many of the women we work with are focusing on building their glutes. And uh, that's the value of, like that's a big part of why we're such sticklers about getting form videos back from our clients. So. Those are the questions that we have for today. Um, as always, I appreciate all the amazing questions. Now, if you would like to apply for one-on-one -on -one coaching with our team and just get our help, get our insight, creating a plan, creating the accountability and structure you need to achieve your best physique ever, just click the link in the show notes to apply for coaching. And again, that is what I have for y'all for today.